Oh, it's a new audio recording, not the old one. And the old one was garbage, but this new one is fantastic. That was my Jeff Goldblum. Hello. I can't do no. It, the thing is, you can, even if you can't do a Jeff Goldblum, you can at least go ah 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 ah. Um. All right. So cool. So we got some movies to talk about tonight. Um, yeah. As we as we often do. Um, yeah. So weekly let's, let's, yeah <laughs> weekly in fact that's sort of what we do here that's sort of what we do all right let's lead off um we got a couple that you saw and then we'll close yeah. with the banshees of Sharon, which we both saw yes but you were going to <laughs> i saw a note for a different episode giant peach ass and i had to remember what that <laughs> note is supposed to mean that's a kellen note <laughs> yeah. yeah all right um all right let's talk about wildcat yeah, man. Wildcat. I'm in this most beautiful place in the world, and I can't be happy. When I was in Afghanistan, I was medically discharged with PTSD. I felt that life wasn't worth living, and maybe I should just go when no one knows if I'm alive, no one knows if I'm dead. That's when my life really took a turn. This is Keanu, our ocelot rescue. He will be reintroduced into the wild in a year and a half. I didn't know if it was going to be doable. Their alternative is living a life in the zoo or dying in a much worse way. This is your new home. Don't give up. Don't give up. I'm going to teach you how to become a killer. Amazon tree boa. This is the snake. This project with Keanu, it's like his redemption. He's saving me and I'm saving him. This is one of the most dangerous environments in the world. That's a wandering spider. Keanu, I know it still hurts. It's really difficult working in an unprotected area. <sighs> you okay? You scared me. Don't follow me. Now he knows where Harry lives. I'm worried that he can't live by himself. He caught his first rodent. He caught his first rodent. I love you, everything I've got. I've seen the jungle change people. I feel like I've done something good. But it's hard to let go of something you love. It is now or never. We're wild animals, me and you. We're wild. 
So Wildcat is a documentary came out last year, 2022, um, uh, on Amazon Prime. Um, it, it's it's a short little doc. It's 105 minutes, um, nothing too intense, but um, but yeah, I, I thought the premise was interesting, and so I decided to check it out. Um, in, in short, it is about a young man who is you know probably in his 20s ish, um, and he is uh, from England and went over to fight in Afghanistan and um, was discharged um, after uh, suffering from uh, PTSD and chronic depression, and so he has had a rough time uh, post war and um and he finds something that makes him happy which is uh, something that gives him purpose which is raising a baby ocelot in uh, the amazon rainforest um with uh, a woman who he begins to date um who runs a uh an animal rehabilitation clinic and so uh they rehabilitate animals and release them into the wild and so he uh takes to raising this ocelot um and um the ocelot's name is khan and they are like best of friends and whatnot and then uh this is not a spoiler because it happens at the very beginning of the movie um khan actually is killed by hunters um the hunters actually in the rainforest would uh often put like a shotgun on the ground with a tripwire so when something runs past the shotgun it just blows it away and this is what happens to khan and um, i really feel bad for recommending meteor meteor last week and then (laughs) hunting school and it's like except when it's except that illegally shooting or ocelot what country is this well this is the amazon rainforest um oh you probably can't do that no, can't do that. Okay. Uh, definitely can't do that. I don't know much about ocelots. Like, I don't know if they're endangered or if they're just like you know whatever. But they're they're certainly not uh, taking these animals for food uh, because they're hungry. Um, so anyway, Khan passes away, and this sends um, our main character into a deep depression again, and he loses all purpose. Um, his name's Harry, and Harry. Um, uh, then uh, a year later, I think almost exactly a year later, another ocelot is dropped on their doorstep uh, to rehabilitate. And this ocelot is going to be sort of the story here um, of how raising this ocelot and and, and eventually um, the impending release of the ocelot back into the wild uh, shapes him and gives him purpose and uh, sort of rehabilitates him as well. Um, and so anyway, it's, it's a good story. Um, documentary is great. Um, sometimes I question its validity, like how true it is and how manufactured it is. If only because it kind of works out like perfectly to the three act structure. Mm. Um, and maybe that's just some clever writing, uh, on the back end, maybe that's just the way it worked out. I don't know. Um, maybe that was manufactured to be that way, but regardless of what it is, um, I, I do think it's, I do think it's true. And, um, and it it just kind of happens that way. And, uh, and, and it is a lot of, uh, well, I was going to say it's a lot of fun to watch. It's really not a lot of fun to watch. It's, it's interesting to watch. It's entertaining to watch. Um, but really it's not a lot of fun. And, and I think that's because, um, maybe about halfway through the film, the film shifts and it's really not about the wildcat anymore. Um, despite the fact that the titles, the wildcat, um, is, is wildcat. Um, it, 
it instead is more about Harry. And that's fine. Like Harry's got a great story too. But here's the problem. Um, when you're dealing with a with a subject that has PTSD, chronic depression, um, these things that are often lifelong uh uh you know, things to battle for a person. Um, how can the ending be satisfying in terms of like, and he's better, you know, it, it, it just kind of like you, you can manufacture that and say he is better and maybe he is, but you don't get the impression because I think it'd be unwise to give the impression that like doing this suddenly cured all of his mental illnesses. Um, I don't think that that's true. And I think that it kind of leads it to feeling a little anticlimactic and unsatisfying towards the end. Um, even though they want to put a positive spin on it and say, yes, the, uh, the Ocelot helped him. And I'm sure he did, but it's not a cure, right? It's not a cure for mental illness to, to find a purpose and, 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 and do a thing that's, you know, a temporary thing. Um, so, so all that to say, like, I think it's a great movie. Um, well, no, I'll say I think it's a good plus movie, and uh, <laughs> and 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 it's um, it's definitely interesting and entertaining, and and like Smile, you know, we've talked we talked about Smile recently. I don't think that episode's out yet, but um, but we talked about Smile recently, and like Smile, it opens up a question, which is um, uh, or multiple questions about mental illness and and the way that that uh, manifests in people, the way that it's battled by people um and ultimately the way maybe it can be overcome and um but as i as i mentioned in my letterbox review with smile um that's a big topic that's yeah. a big topic and and any one film attempting to tackle that has a big road ahead of them because that's just a a huge topic that that i don't know that we really know the all the answers to um, so you can give your best advice, but it's still something that's being explored and studied. And like any, you know, uh, psychiatric medicine, uh, uh, study of psychiatric medicine, it, 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 it remains something to study. Um, it, it, there's not a clear cut like, oh, penicillin. You know, there's not a, there's yeah. not a clear cut. Uh, solution. And so it's, it is, um, it's just a big topic. Um, but having said that, I mean, it's interesting to watch and, and it's, and it is, um, it is cute, right? Like you get to see a little cat become like a little kitten, become a cat and, um, and learn how to hunt and that sort of stuff. And that's cool. Um, even if as the film goes along, it takes a backseat to the mental anguish of our protagonist. Um, and, um, and yeah, so I think depending on what you want to get out of wildcat, um, you'll, your mileage will vary in terms of your enjoyment of it. Um, for me, I really wanted more, I think, animal planety document like documentation of like what it is to rehabilitate an animal teach it to hunt teach it to be on its own and then release it on its own and hope for the best right like that's sort of what i wanted and i got more about our protagonist's mental journey um and so i think that led me to some disappointment if you go in knowing like oh yeah this is going to be more about him less about the cat then you know whatever um I can also see a metaphor that the wildcat, the titular wildcat is not the cat at all, but is the boy. Mm. Um, and that he is the wildcat that needs 
to learn and to be tamed and to be, uh, you know, taught how to, uh, move on with his life and be released into the wild yet again. And, you know, so, so certainly there's some, some good metaphor there too. It's not a dumb film by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But again, I think the, the bottom line is what you specifically want the film want out of the film um, will determine your enjoyment of it. So, so I do recommend it, but I want to give you a, a warning up front. It's not an animal planet documentary. And that's what I thought it was. That's kind of how it was built. Mm. Um, that's not what it is. Um, so maybe you'll like it more than me having had that, you know, warning. Um, but, uh, and I do think it's worth watching. So, so I recommend wildcat, um, not great, but good plus, um, I think I gave it three and a half stars. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I did enjoy it. So, um, so wildcat worth a watch. Okay. Yeah. Is, 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 uh, that's a weird question. Is Ethan Hawke involved in this movie at all? Not that I know of. Did he produce it or something. I thought I saw him. That's I interesting. I better figure that out pretty maybe quick. Maybe I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, wildcat Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke's new movie. Oh, he's shooting a movie called Wildcat that's in production. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Well, that will be interesting, whatever the hell that is. Sure. Oh, he's directing it, and his daughter is the is is acting in it with, ah, with okay. Liam Neeson. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Great. Where's this shooting? Shooting in Louisville? It's shooting hmm. in Louisville. Hey, okay. it's in Kentucky. All right. Well. All I know is that that wildcat... And this wildcat, neither of them are Hellcats. <laughs> <laughs> and if and if you're a, a listener of this podcast, <laughs> you know how we feel about Hellcats. Hooper has no opinion, and I love it. <laughs> I have not seen it in years because it doesn't exist anymore, but I love it. <laughs> That's what I wanted this film to be, was just a sequel to Hellcats. That's and true. I was disappointed. There was no cheerleading in this film at all. <laughs> it's like every every movie with Cat, you're like, is this a Hellcats sequel? <laughs> like when when Cats came out, you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, oh, Cats is here. It's, it's, they, meant, they meant to call it Hellcats. Yeah. And, and there, were no, there was no cheerleading in that either. No. There was just James Corden. Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to recommend Hellcats. <laughs> I don't know where you can watch Hellcats. <laughs> Look, if you can find Wildcat, you can find Hellcats. You can find Hellcats. And that that is not a three and a half stars. That is a 12 star <laughs> out of five. That's 12 stars. You damn sure better try. <laughs> That's a baker's dozen of stars for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> that's Wildcat. Um, yeah. And our opinion of Wildcat is you should watch Hellcats. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I haven't even seen Wildcat, but I agree that you should watch Hellcats. <clears throat> you haven't even seen all of Hellcats. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I saw what I needed to see and uh, I moved on. And you moved on? <laughs> I never moved on, my friend. <laughs> 
I'm just kidding. I literally have only seen each you know, episode once. This this I don't uh, know. this podcast, like every podcast has some kind of like whatever, like mission. I feel like the mission of this podcast should be to get Hellcats back on the air. Back on the air. Like that'll be our that'll be like our holy crusade. If we, if we ever get to have Tom Welling on the on the podcast, I'll I'll get him to 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 green light it. Did he was he like a producer? Yeah, he produced Hellcats. Oh man. Yeah, man. <sighs> yeah, but that's gotta happen. I feel like everybody else in the world, when they meet Tom Welling, is going to be like, oh, Tom, you're great in Smallville. Oh, mm-hmm. Tom, Clark Kent, Clark Kent. And I'm like, I'm the biggest Superman fan that I know, but that ain't the first thing I'm bringing up. I would, I'm going to uh, whisper in his ear like that little kid in Iron Man 3. Like, you know, <laughs> had, you know had, how'd you get out of the wormhole? I'm going to shake his hand like, you know what? Superman's great. What about Hellcats? What about Hellcats, though? What'd you do with Hellcats? Any chance of a revival on what that What can one? you do for me? <laughs> what have you done for me lately, Tom? I'm sure Hulu would love it. <laughs> it would be on Hulu, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be on That's a Hulu that's show a, for sure. 1,000% Hulu. Yeah, that's a Hulu right, show. We got to get that going. Hashtags cool. save Hellcats. <laughs> We're like, a, like a, a decade too late. I've got it's it. Fine. I've got one. Eight more lives for Hellcats. <laughs> <laughs> Eight more seasons. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I'm going to do what neither of us can um, and move on from Hellcats right now. There you go. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's talk about the uh, the pale blue eye. Is it true? You once elicited a confession with nothing more than a piercing look. With enough patience, a suspect will often. Interrogate himself. Detective Landor, one of our cadets. Hanged himself last night. That's the matter for the coroner. I'm afraid that's not the end of it. His heart was carved from his chest. What type of fellow could do this? have to be a bad man needed to decipher this rumor has it their instructions for immortality someone there another cadet is missing hope i need you to discreetly infiltrate the cadets what is this blood symbols ritual oh my lord Man will do most anything to cheat death. Where are the facts? Where are the simple facts? The truth! I believe the dead haunt us because we love them too little. Captain! We are no closer to finding who's responsible for this than we were a month ago! closer it's only a matter of time the pale blue eye this is on netflix um so it's netflix original um released a few weeks ago um as of this recording it is directed and written by scott cooper Mm. um who you might know from um um, black Hostiles, right and uh was that? Oh, Black Mass. Black Mass, yeah. 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 And uh, he did uh, Out of the Furnace, right? Yep, he did Out of the Furnace. What's that? The, there's the big one. Crazy Heart. Oh, Crazy Heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he did Crazy Heart. Um, so so this is directed by Scott Cooper. It stars Christian Bale. And uh, uh, hold on, let me find his name because I want to call him uh, D- uh, Dudley. Dudley Dursley. Harry, Harry Melling. Her- Harry Melling. Yes. Um, so um, coincidentally, also Timothy Spall. Um, oh. But, um, and Toby Jones. Oh. Um, uh yeah so so the pale blue eye is the story of a detective played by uh, christian bale who's called into uh, west point military academy uh, to solve the murder of a young cadet mm. um who was found hanging um on their campus and so um but then but then later um when they did the autopsy, they found that the young man's heart was carved from his chest. Um, well, so, um, so Christian Bale is brought in to solve the murder and, uh, and as luck would have it, he befriends Harry Melling's character, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, so Edgar Allan Poe <laughs> teams great, up with great this detective. Casting. Yeah. 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 Um, they team up and they kind of, um, like try to solve this mystery and, um, the mystery deepens and there's more twists and turns and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So I, I, I gave the pale blue eye three and a half stars. Um, I do think it's a good movie. Um, but, um, but ultimately a little bit lacking, um, not in his performances. Harry Melling is great like genuinely really good in this movie he's um, really good like i don't know what people's expectations are of, of that guy i, I doubt that yeah. anyone who sees him in a movie these days even realizes that's dudley dursley yeah probably but not. like he was really good in the queen's gambit you know oh, yeah, yeah yeah i I, re- I remember him from um uh was it the ballad of buster scruggs, buster scruggs. he's yeah, great yeah. in that he's great in that he, he's in that section with liam neeson yeah. Um, and they're great yep. uh, together. And mm-hmm. um, and yeah, Harry Melling is great in this role. Um, he kind of steals the show. Um, but Christian Bale is just always fantastic. And like, yeah. I'll watch anything Christian Bale is in pretty much because he's just always consistently good. Yeah. Um, like he's fully committed to every role he does. And this is no exception. Um, and and this is a, a role that is understated. Um, but emotionally raw for him. Um, and it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good performance. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's got a great atmosphere, great cinematography, great tone, like it feel like it looks like an Edgar Allan Poe novel. Like if that makes any sense at all, like it looks like Edgar Allan Poe would have photographed this <laughs> okay and all of that is anachronistic but you know what i'm saying like it, <laughs> it, it feels it it has the feeling of a classic poe story yeah. and um and although it's fictional and not based on a true story like this did not happen to edgar Allan poe um it's this weird bit of like revisionist history like well what yeah. if kind of thing um to me, that kind of makes it a little more interesting mm-hmm. um, because anything could happen. Like, you know, he could decide to like, uh, you know, sprout wings from his feet and fly around and uh, he's Namor. Um, <laughs> but um, but he he um, yeah, it, 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 he factors into the story really well. Um, they kind of captured his voice and I haven't read a lot of Poe, but I, I read a little bit in college and, you know, it, it really kind of captures his voice. Um, and, uh, Harry Melling does a great job of that, but the screenplay does a great job of that. And, um, 
and and the mystery unfolds like a classic Holmes mystery or, you know, um, if it has that feeling of like just um, a classic detective story. And um, it's a really good. It's a really good movie that never really lives up to its potential. Um, so it's not a bad movie. It's not, it's weird because sometimes you say that sentence and you mean like, oh, this is a bad movie, but it could have been good. <laughs> right. I mean, like this is a good movie, but it could have been a lot better. Um, and, and I think part of that is, like I said, Christian Bale has an understated performance. Um, and, and that's sort of the tone of the whole movie is like this understated, uh, dreary drab kind of tone that I think could have been livened up a little bit. And that would have made it at least at least less less taxing to watch maybe and not that it like dragged or what felt taxing but like it certainly as i replayed in my mind's eye of like what what was this movie like i'm thinking of just like long aerial shots of the academy and long shots of like smoke and mist and fog mm. and like it it feels in my mind's eye slower than it probably is but it I think could have been livened up a lot and especially to match Harry Melling's performance who, um, like I said, he's not overacting or like chewing the scenery, but it's a much livelier performance than all the rest. And, and that makes him interesting and makes him stand out. But I think if everything had been raised to his, his energy level, then the whole film would have been a lot more fun, like genuinely fun to watch. Um, and then, and then maybe my biggest complaint of it for the, for a story about young men being captured and murdered and then their bodies mutilated and dismembered, there's not a clear sense of danger or threat in the film. Like we don't see any of this. We don't see the killings. And so we only find about the killings later and that to me makes it feel like it's happening at a distance and not like our characters are ever in danger of, you know, coming face to face with this evil or whatever. And and while I'm not usually one to just like clamor for gore and violence, I think it was needed here. Like you needed to feel the danger of what's happening rather than the danger of what has already happened. If that makes sense, because because that's a very different thing. You can say, oh, look at these these boys who were captured. But if you say, look at them as they're being captured, that's a completely different feeling as an audience member. And uh, and that's that's, I think, maybe the film's biggest flaw is uh, its lack of energy and its lack of true, genuine fear tension and threat. Um, and, and if those issues were rectified, this would have been a really, really great movie. Mm. Um, so three and a half stars for the pale blue eye. I, if you have Netflix, this is not a bad way to spend your time, but I'm also going to say that, say it this way. There are better things to watch out there that will stick with you longer. Um, and aside from just like a couple of brief scenes that have managed to lodge themselves into my brain. Um, most of this is kind of forgettable. So, um, yeah, uh, three and a half stars for the pale blue eye, uh, great performances, great cinematography, a little lacking in pretty much everything else. 
I agree with you, man. Like Christian Bale is just one of those things, one of those people, which just, we talk about all the time, just watch yeah. him in anything, you know, yeah. he's, he's a master of characterization. He's, yeah. he's just one of those actors who doesn't just come in and read lines and he doesn't like, he doesn't just think about, he, he really thinks about his emotional state and yeah. context when his character is, is acting. And it's really hard to do that. Um, yeah. I was watching the masterclass of Samuel L. Jackson and mm. I was watching like him run through these scenes, these actors and just the suggestions he's giving and like the subtle things they're choosing to do. It's just like, it, it's such a precise yeah. thing and, and it can look clunky in the one take you're doing it, but you know, that's when editing really comes in and helps give context yeah. to all those things. Yeah. And it's just, but it takes an actor to give you that and, yeah. but to, and, and a director to dial it in to where it's just right. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I think I think that's true. And there's a reason why I think Christian Bale continues to work with directors like this mm-hmm. or David O. Russell or, um, you know, whoever, you know, his he's got several long term collaborators yeah. um, who, who give him the freedom to uh, make a choice. Right. And then and then I'd imagine on set, like you're saying that the director recognizes the choice and dials it in. Um, where it needs to be. And uh, rather than just saying like, Christian, do this, here's a line reading, say it like I'm right. saying it. it. It makes it makes all the difference because I think like more than a lot of actors, I do feel like I see Christian Bale's process at work in his characters. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not in a bad way, not like I see through the characters, but in, in that like I see, I see him working and that, that makes a big difference. Like I, I, re- I can recognize the amount of effort he's putting in. And, and that goes for like films that are more artistic in nature. Yeah. Um, or big blockbusters, be it Batman or Thor. Um, like I can see like he's the best part of Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah. Um, and and um and and I clearly can see like this is a man who's who's sitting down at night and doing his homework mm-hmm. and wants to understand it. And um and I think that's the the way he was with Batman. That's like I said, that's just the way he always is and and has been since he was little. Like, cause cause we often forget, like Christian Bale's been on the scene for so long. You can watch him as a child in yeah. Empire of the Sun or you know, as a teenager in Newsies, yeah. and you can already see like the wheels turning. Like he is making decisions and doing the hard work. Um, and uh and then as time progresses and American psycho comes along and, you know, um, uh, equilibrium and these movies that kind of like where he was stretching and saying like, Oh, maybe I'll be action. Maybe I'll be horror. Maybe I'll like do a little bit of everything. By the time Batman comes around, it's like the man's already a master. And, um, and it's interesting because Batman's like the first time that most people heard of him. Yeah. Uh, but he was, he was around for so much longer and, um, yeah, man, it, he's great. He's great in this. He's always great. And in my mind, like he goes down in, in the pantheon of great film actors. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Totally. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Let's take a break. When we come yeah. back, uh, we'll talk, talk about the Banshees of Ian Sheeran. Yes.
you know what? I changed my mind. We're back. We're back. I did have a recommendation. Oh, okay, go. So here I go. Um, I recently, over the weekend, rewatched Matilda, the, mm. the original Matilda. Yes. Because there's the new one yeah. on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, I think so. And my daughter was watching that, <clears throat> you know, and that's that's its whole ho- that's its its whole own thing. And yeah. um, uh, but Emma Thompson is really interesting as the as Trunchbull. Mm. But then Amelia found out that the original one is on HBO Max, mm. which we have currently. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so there, I, I was making pancakes Saturday morning, and the kids started watching it. And I, took me forever to make breakfast because I kept stopping and looking. Man, Matilda holds up. Yeah, it does. We watched it not too long ago. Really? Okay, so I forgot that Danny DeVito directed the film. Yes. I didn't... I I don't think I ever knew that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And he's great in it. Rhea Perlman's great in it. I just... Mm -hmm. The two of them are so good in it. Yep. Um, uh, The actress who plays Trunchbull is great. Mm -hmm. Um. She's she's scary, but she's less like she's a little goofier than I remember as a kid. Because yeah. when you're a kid, she's just scary. Yeah. But like just her faces, and um, I really loved, um, you know, Mara Wilson's great as Matilda, yeah. and then uh, yeah. I forgot the actress's name who plays Miss Honey, but she's really great. Um, it's just it's just great. Uh, yeah. the, the little kid who plays uh Bruce Bogtrotter, the kid who has to eat the cake. Oh yeah, yeah that yeah. kid's fucking great. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's fantastic. He's great. He plays that yeah. scene so well. She's like, "Do yes. did, like, did you eat my cake?" And he says, "Well, it's hard for me to remember a specific cake. Like it, it, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it was. It's yes. a funny line, but he yeah, didn't yeah. overact it. He yeah. didn't, un, he didn't line read it. Yep. He, he really played like a like a big old kid who." Yep genuinely wants to help her solve this problem yes he's just like listen i i eat a lot of cake it i i, I don't that yep, which yep. cake what are you talking about right exactly yeah <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember eating your cake specifically right. exactly <laughs> like, that's funny i don't remember and your cake was likely unremarkable yes but the even that scene is a whole lot more uplifting than i remember because like he's eating the cake she's making him eat the cake and he can't do it and he's like seeing double and everything. She's like, give up, Brucey, you know? <laughs> and, and then, um, and then Matilda stands up and goes, you can do it, Brucey. Um, and then all the kids are like, go, yeah. bro, go Bruce. And he's yeah. like, yeah. And he's like shoving the cake. And then he, no, hold, he holds no. up the empty platter at the end of yeah. it. They're like, Bruce, he Bruce, he's like, Bruce. Ah. Yeah. He's like licking it and holding yeah. it up and pumping it. And they're going, Bruce, yeah. Bruce, Bruce. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I was so <laughs> jazzed. It was great. Um, uh. I forgot too, that like Trunchbull is, is supposed to be like an Olympic caliber athlete. Like she yeah. was in like the 72 Olympic games as, yep. as a, as a yep. field, uh, uh, um, athlete. Yeah. So I forgot that like one night in her house, she's just throwing javelins <laughs> into no. the wall. Yes. Um, she's, uh, there's uh, the crazy that when, when Matilda and Miss Honey are like trapped in the house trying to get the doll out and they keep running. That's a genuinely tense sequence. Yeah. One of the highlights of it. I even rem- remembered my, we were watching it in the, you know, they're downstairs in like the kitchen and Trunchbull's all the way upstairs. And I just instinctively, I was like, oh, guys, watch this. And she leaps over. This is like a four story house. She leaps yeah. over the rail and just jumps down the entire oh. and lands on her feet, just 
Yeah. And like dust yeah. pops up off the floor. <laughs> and Amelia was like, oh my God. And I was like, yeah. Said, she's not, she, she's, she's not human, you know? Yep. Right. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good movie. It's really uh, great. We we watched it maybe like a year and a half ago. I think Sarah was was pregnant at the time, and um, and we bought it on Blu-ray, and we were like, we, we just we just we need to watch this, and so yeah. we did. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it does it does hold up. It's like, it holds I, I remember, up really well. I remember by the end of it, just going like most movies from the '90s that you remember as a kid, they're a lot Still cheesier great. than you think, but. Uh, but this one is just so good. And, uh, and yeah, big, big respect for Danny DeVito, um, for his, everything he's done. He, but, but he, that specifically. Oh yeah. Matilda, he, 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 like, not only is it just a fun movie and nostalgia, like, like all those elements are great, but like the pace is really good. I think the yeah. reason why it's like every scene is doing more than one thing or there's no like. Oh, great. Now we got to sit through another talk about my feelings. Like it's a great, it's just a really well-paced movie. And I found myself really, really as an adult, really, really keyed in and impressed with the execution of the first act, which is all about how Matilda even got sent to, to that place because, you know, like her, her essentially her, her upbringing, like, cause you tune out of that when you're right. a kid, you forget that like her parents didn't like put her in school at the right time. Super neglectful. Super neglectful. Like, yeah. like, hey, so who's gonna sign for the packages? You know, and and the fact that she like she tries to tell her, like she she really tries with them. Like she tries to encourage her dad to sell cars, to sell good cars to people. Yeah. She, she like just he tell he shows them like it's like yeah here's how I uh, turn the dial back on the odometer and she's like daddy you're a crook and I was like yeah get <laughs> yeah. him Matilda yeah, yeah exactly. You know? Like yep. she had the wherewithal to be like, you're, you're a fucking criminal. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Let's throw this yeah. in there too. Cause this is one of my favorite stories. Um, Mara Wilson, um, her mother passed away a few years after Matilda came out really? um, from, from cancer, I believe. Oh. And, and she wrote in her book about what a, like godsend, uh, Danny DeVito and Ray Perlman were for her that they like, they basically reached out uh, during her mom's illness and like offered to babysit her when, when her mother was sick wow. and like all kind like they did all kinds of really awesome stuff for her specifically. Wow. And, uh, and they, they've, I think still to this day, like are super close and uh, like have kept in touch and they're just like, like family now pretty much. And that's just fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Cause she writes now. I mean, she, she's like a writer. Yeah. I think she? so. Yeah. yeah. So she, she had written a book and was like, you know, yeah. revealed all of this about, about their involvement with, with her around that time. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. God, Danny DeVito's the, the man. I know. <laughs> well, t- too bad. He's not in the Banshees of Inishirin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call him Sonny Larry. Didn't you? He used to be the best of friends. We're still the best of friends. No, you're not. Who says we're not? Sit somewhere else. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. You liked me yesterday. Why does he not want to be friends with you no more? Why is he 12? What the hell's going on with you, me feckin' brother? He's dull, Siobhan. But he's always been done. 
The other night, two hours, you spent talking to me about the things you found in your little donkey shite that day. Well, it wasn't me little donkey shite, it was me pony shite, which shows how much you were listening. If you don't stop talking to me... Callum! And if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of shears at home. And each time you bother me from this day on, I'll take those shears and I'll take one of my fingers off with them. And I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left. Does this make things clearer to you? Not really, no. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. Would you not want him to have to do the one finger to see if he was bluffing like? No, we wouldn't. Because worse goes to worse, he can still play the fiddle with four fingers, I bet ya. Going back to your own gang now, Parik. And talking to me, are ya? Why aren't you talking to Parik no more? That wouldn't be a sin now, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? Do you know who we remember for how nice they was in the 17th century? Who? Absolutely no one. Yet yeah, we all remember the music at the time. Everyone to a man knows Mozart's name. I don't, so there goes that theory. All right, well, The Banshees of Ed Sheeran. Yes. Uh, this is a film, another writer-director film. There you go. Uh, uh, you, I guess we could argue that the Wildcat is as well, <laughs> being sure. a documentary. Sure. So that's our unifying theme tonight, the writer-director. So this writer-director is Martin McDonough. You may remember him from In Bruges and um, Seven Psychopaths, I believe uh, he did after that. Uh, what else does he, is he? Is there other stuff that he did that I should, you know? He a lot of his work is on the stage, um, you know, yeah. until he started directing movies. So, um, uh, you know, people, people. Oh, I'm three sure, billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so those are his four movies. Um, pretty solid uh <laughs> repertoire there of films so yep, yep. Uh, i love in bruges yeah uh, so much i didn't see three billboards um i didn't care for seven psychopaths um mm. that felt like a working title and i just didn't um i just didn't key into it at all yeah um yeah. despite it was it was not it was less than the sum of its parts it was a great cast and it just felt like a lackluster movie to me Sure. Um, but that was also 2012. I thought a lot of things in 2012 that are dumb. So maybe that was one of them. <laughs> sure. Um, but this film stars, uh, much like in Bruges, uh, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson. We've also got Carrie Condon in here mm -hmm. and Barry Keegan. Mm -hmm. Um, so the Banshees of Inshiran is, um, uh, set during the Irish civil war. It's 1923. So hundred years ago, for those of you who don't know what year it is. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, I don't know what year it is and I can't do math. <laughs> Just tell me, help me, help me. Uh, so the Inishirin's like this fictional Island right off, you know, right off the mainland of Ireland, small townish kind of thing, you know, yeah. one of those places similar to the island in midnight mass where i'm like how does this economy operate like I, i'm just i'm, I'm curious <laughs> yeah. more about like i don't understand like how do you there's, live there's one policeman you know i, I i'm yeah. so i'm not yeah. sure how it works. what are your jobs like you just right. walk to the pub but what's yeah. your job what is your job are you all remote tech support people <laughs> no you're not it's 1923 of course you're not wait a minute why did i say that anyway. that would be funny if there was just a scene of them on the phone yeah 
they all, they, they all go to, to, to the town communal like work office and and, yes. and they're answering that, that's what it says on the billboard outside communal work office town office commune <laughs> <laughs> um well, so in so in, in so in Sharon's a small community, and Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are friends. I'm going to call them Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson because their names are difficult. There's Calm Doherty, played by uh, Brendan Gleeson, and then Colin Farrell plays a man named Parik Suleban. Yeah, like Parik. We call him Parik, yeah. but it's spelled Padriac. Yes. Um, I think I can do that. Oh, I'll try this. Calm and Parik. So yes. Um, they're friends, and then one day Calm is like, I don't want to be friends with Parik anymore. Yeah. And the movie's about Parik struggling to accept this yeah. and calm and the lengths to which calm will go to yeah. uh emphasize no I'm I'm serious. Yeah. Which is a weird premise for a movie. Yes. Um yes, and I'm curious what you thought of this movie cuz you you just finished watching it like an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had zero time to ruminate on this because <laughs> yeah, less than an hour ago, like literally about three minutes before we started uh, yeah. recording, uh, I had finished this film. The hottest of hot um, takes. The hottest of hot, the hot takes. Probably, probably uh, the hottest take of this of this show's entire history. Maybe so. Um, yeah, I'd say like four stars for me. Um, I, I okay. really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think that it um, it was captivating to me for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, it's cinematography. It's like um, you know other culturalness that uh you know is just uh interesting to me novel um yeah novel yeah. and uh you know as well as the the period piece of it all and um and then these actors are fantastic so they yes. lured me in and um yeah I, I i think the premise is ridiculous but the movie is a comedy like um i didn't expect that like mm -hmm. it, it's genuinely funny and uh, Colin Farrell's Paul Rick is dumb, but not <laughs> not dumb like like when you say like a dumb character, you're thinking like a Homer Simpson or whatever, right. or like worse than that, you're thinking of like you know Patrick Starr, somebody that like can't actually function in real world because <laughs> they're so, you're they're, so they're stupid, debilitatingly stupid, debilitatingly stupid. <laughs> He's not that. No, uh, Paul Rick is just like naively. Uh, uh, dumb about things, and yeah, he's and just he's, clueless. he's simple, dull, and clueless, and um, and that's like so interesting to watch. Um, I think um, a character who can totally function and has friends and is you know whatever, mm -hmm. but he but he's just clueless, has no idea. Mm -hmm. Um, his sister Carrie Condon uh, does a great job. She's great. Um, and, 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 and she's so, she's so good. I did not know, did not know that she was Irish, um, because she's in Better Call Saul oh. as Mike Ehrmantraut's, um, uh, 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 daughter-in-law. Oh. And, and, uh, and I had no idea, not a clue. Um, so I was like, oh. That's Stacey Armantrout. She's also and, Friday. She's also the, the yes, AI Friday. She is. She is indeed. Barry Cogan, uh, Keegan Cogan, okay. whatever it is. I, don't know. Yeah. Um, I I've seen him in a few things, but this I liked him the best in this. Um, I, I, he was I think great. he has such an interesting voice. Yes. like the, the, he has such a distinct voice, and it's so 
gratifying to listen to. It's what, it's what? it's it's the accent and and like the timber of his of his yeah. voice. Yeah, exactly. What was so interesting to me is his character choices. So he plays somebody who's oh. dumber than than Paulrick, <laughs> and he's like the village idiot. Yeah, Dominic. And, uh, Dominic, and um, and there, there's a scene where he's talking to Paulrick, and he's like fiddling with the collar of his sweater. Yeah, and it's like this weird, like I'm almost like that cannot be scripted that's a character choice oh yeah that's that's that, just that he's just like fiddling with it the whole time yeah and it's like a comfort but it's also like i'm awkward and and then anytime he talks to Carrie Condon it's that way it's like mm-hmm. he's like constantly like you know touching his face and yeah. like you know rubbing his arms and and it it comes across not as like crazy or or whatever it's just like this character is just so comforted by touch. Maybe I don't know. It's yeah. so strange. I I, uh, I got vibes off it, like because he's like kind of troubled. Like yeah. so, he, I got vibes off it more. Like he's just it's like an ADD thing. It's like nineteen twenties. Like he's just yeah. OCD or ADD or some Trying kind of to like focus. Try, just he's he's stimming basically. He's mm. just he can't focus, and plus he's like constantly gesturing or adjusting, yeah. and you yeah. Know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I definitely, yeah, that's totally actor choice. That that goes back to that Sam Jackson comment about yeah. you know, back when we were talking about, um, yeah, you know, pale blue eye or yeah. it's like those things, like those choices you decide as an actor, like that gives total dimension and character to an otherwise, you know, yeah. uh, mid middle of the road uh, yeah. scene. It yeah. just, it adds so much to it. It shows us who this character is and it, and also informs the performance of the other. Per- like I literally thought about that while they're sitting on like the stone wall. I know it doesn't narrow it yeah. down location yeah. wise or what they're right, doing. Sure. Talking yeah. on a stone wall. Oh, cool. Yeah. Where was the, what time code yeah. was that Connor? Um, <laughs> yeah. But they're All sitting on there and, and, uh, and I remember he did something and I specifically looked at Colin Farrell who either voluntarily involuntarily sort of like was puzzled by it in, mm. in the moment. And I was like, that's the stuff right there. Like that, yeah, the, yeah, it, yeah. it changes and, and it yes. keeps Colin Farrell on his toes. Like, okay, you're, you can't react like Colin Farrell observing an acting choice. You have to act like Parik being a little distracted, but ultimately not uh, that curious about yeah, right, this person's right. physical movements. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, for know. sure. Um, so he's great. And then Brendan Gleeson is always great, but always like great. his role is almost, uh, super stoic and like just straightforward laser focus the entire time um and then he becomes like in the most focused way unhinged mm-hmm. like he just he he loses his ever loving mind but never ever melodramatically it's it's like the equivalent of uh like be, being a boulder but you're rolling downhill but you're still a boulder so you're just a boulder mm-hmm. you know what i mean it, it, it he he's just he's just himself and and even though he's losing his mind and you can tell it in his actions but outwardly he's just blank Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and that to me is super interesting and and intriguing. Like, how would you because any other actor, any other director, any other writer would write that, okay, he starts to kind of 
become unhinged in a way. And so the character would naturally loosen up and, you know, be more prone to outburst or whatever, but not this character. And that that's super interesting to me. And then maybe the most interesting part is that like toward the end of the film, maybe the last third of the film, last act, uh, maybe it starts around the halfway mark. I'd have to, I'd have to pay more attention. Um, It almost becomes a folktale suddenly. Like suddenly you have Mrs. McCormick, who's Mm -hmm. this old lady who may in fact be the Banshee of Inna Sharon, um, who, who death. yeah, she yeah, she's almost like uh, uh in a Greek tragedy, she's like the 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 oracle who's yeah. going to come out and say death is coming to the island, you know. Yeah. And it's like, "Oh, I'm the harbinger of death" type character and that it becomes a folktale. And what was just slice of life whatever as 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 um Colum becomes unhinged and the harbinger of death comes out of Miss McCormick. It, the whole film like takes on this weird, like folktale ghost story, sit around the campfire, tell a scary story kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I thought that was super interesting. <clears throat> yeah, I wasn't sure what to think about this one um, when I finished it. I know that during it, I'm not sure what star rating I would give it, but like I knew that during it I was. Uh, it was a little slow for me. Yeah. So it was one of those things where I go, okay, like I have to shift the way I rate this um, mm-hmm. because it's an art film. It's not yeah. for mass consumption, you know? Yeah. So it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be exactly what it was meant to be, which is good. And also means that most people will be puzzled by it or bored yeah. by it. Or, yeah. you know, put off by the relatively low stakes. So for me, it was more like, okay, this is one of those films that I won't say I enjoyed watching, but I appreciated parts of it. I really thought the performances and the dialogue was great. Um, mm-hmm. I loved the characterization. Like that's that's yeah. really the meat of it is is these these performances are tr- tr- uh, you know, amazing. Yeah. Um and I, I as one of those where after the film, I sort of from a story perspective, I was like, okay, I'm not picking up on the allegory except for everything that's like right there at the start, mm-hmm. which is it seemed not depressing again, which is fine. But like, let's well, let's talk about spoilers. Yeah, <clears throat> you can watch this on HBO Max if you want to see it. Yep, it seems almost like it's it's a direct allegory to the Civil War going mm-hmm. on, and you know. The, the men are not friends. They're at like a temporary ceasefire. They're at a peace, yeah. but they may fight again soon. Yeah. And I was thinking like, okay, what's, why? What's the, is is the moral of the story like, hey, just someday you're, you're going to lose your friends and that's, that's just what's going to happen. So yeah. it, it seemed like almost like a relatively like simple story that, I'm not sure what the intent behind it was, Mm. but there were things about it that I could appreciate nonetheless, even though I felt like it was an inconclusive, like, uh, Mm. idea, Mm. like, so so like, you know, in the movie, like you call him cuts off his fingers, um, as he says he would to the point of course, to where now he's, you know, his, his left hand is a stomp. He can't play fiddle anymore. And, 
you know, I went online and looked around some and people were like, why, why did he do that? You know, that, yeah. that, that's the whole point that he wanted to not be friends with him anymore. So he could have more time to like make his art and yeah. out of spite for his, his persistent, uh, ex friend, he just cuts off the, the fingers, which allow him to pursue that art. Yeah. Someone said one theory is that he's, he, he, he desperately needed to relieve himself of the obligation or the expectation to produce the art. Like mm. that's his way of like unburdening himself from this self-imposed mm. uh, expectation that like, Hey man, the clock is ticking. Like you got to create yeah. something, something that's meaningful and, and immortal and lasting. Mm. And he was just like, I don't want to think about that. And so yeah. I'm going to be hard line about this finger issue and I'm going to yeah. cut my fingers off. And yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like you would think that the, the film would end with him wanting to be friends with uh park again yeah. And I guess you could argue that he did want to be friends with him again. And then right. Park was like, no, I'm, I'm pissed now. Like that's yeah. <laughs> like, you, yeah. you insulted my intelligence. You yep. made me go through all this stuff. So I don't know, like while it was all like really well crafted and good, I just sort of felt disengaged by, and, and sort of lost to what the, the narrative was supposed to really be about. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really follow or understand the choices by the characters um, mm. and how they related to the film overall. Yeah, no, I would agree it, to to an extent. I think I think that the characters are better served as metaphor than as characters, um, which gen- generally speaking, I hate. Like I'm like I'm like, look, if your characters aren't characters, then I'm not watching <laughs> what your are we movie. Doing? Yeah, right. But but I do think that that to some degree that sums up a lot of what the film is. Um, and I think you know, trying to analyze, okay, well, why did he cut off his fingers? I think it has less to do with what's the character's motivation of it and more of a statement of the absurdity of war or the absurdity of, um, you know, hardline stances on whatever, because, um, the, the way I almost see it is like column makes this decision. We don't really know what's behind it. Like there doesn't seem to be any logical motivation for why, he's decided not to be friends with Paulrick anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just, he just, I don't like you today. Yeah. Right. Like I, you liked me yesterday. Well, I don't like you anymore. I understood um, all that. Like yeah. that was, that I keyed in the most on that. I was like, okay, I, I totally am on board with the choice. Right. But I think, I think the idea is at a certain point he gives up, um, it's almost like the saying, um, cut off your nose to spite your face. He's <laughs> right. literally dismembering his himself mm-hmm. in order to get what he wants. And I think that uh, it has less to do with with the character making that choice and more to do with an allegory of maybe the civil war, maybe whatever it's for my, for this stance that I've decided is the right thing, mm-hmm. um, sort of arbitrarily, I will dismember myself for that cause, regardless of the harm that it's actually doing to me in the long term or yeah. my country or whatever. And so to that end, I think it's more of, just a metaphor um so to you this is like extremely well acted allegory basically yeah yeah so so it it is essentially like the characters are for sure characters yeah but my mind is able to uh put their their inconsistency of like oh, a real person wouldn't do that okay yeah away yeah. because you're highlighting the absurdity of the the 
you know, communal experience of war yeah. or the communal experience of, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, um, uh, fighting with people in general. Um, I, I love that he throws the fingers at the door. Yes. Just, yes. just a completely like just a punctuation of like, Boom. yep, you made me do this, even though yep. you didn't make me do this. Like right. it, it, it serves your point. Like that's the pettiness with which we're trying to highlight civil yep. war. Yes, it, it, it's all petty and it's all absurd. And I think that's the point is like- uh, I'm starting like, to get it now. Yeah, like like um, like Parik cannot accept what's happening or <laughs> his or the fact that he's causing the harm to the other guy mm-hmm. who's, who's made this hard line. He's not essentially, he thinks he's trying to persuade him you know, like yeah. in, in this new school of thought, right? Like, like I, I'm going to change your mind yeah. or something, but all it's doing is making the other party dig More in deeper. Resolute. Yeah. And, and, and as often happens with debates, no change is occurring. Everyone's just getting more entrenched in what they want. Yep. And, and that, that's all that's happening here is as, as, column gets more entrenched so too does parik and while you want to reach through the screen and say parik just stop like just leave him alone (laughs) it's fine leave the Um, island that that's not how war works that's Mm -hmm. not how that's not how you know hostile um uh parties who are fighting actually behave no one ever says oh that's enough Right. Right. It's always I want I want what I want. Right. And you want what you want. And we're just going to keep on going until there's nothing left of ourselves. And and at the end, it's not so much like, okay, well, maybe we can be friends now. Maybe it's temporary or whatever. And maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But the point is, like, even even in the times where there's a momentary ceasefire, there will be more fighting. Right. And and even if there's not more fighting, notice neither of them apologized and neither of them came over to the other one's, you know, line of thinking. Neither one, you know, in other words, like Colum didn't say, oh, hey, I was wrong about you. You stuck up for yourself and you're more interesting now. Mm-hmm. Like he does, you know, initially, initially yeah. it's like, oh, well, that that at least is interesting, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, right. And so, um, I, I, I'm less clear on, on Barry Kogan's character's death. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and what that necessarily represents in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, unless it's just plot. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would think it's more like death had to come to somebody, um, through this fighting and this, and, you know, so he's sort of like, he 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 received the the punishment for their mis mis misgivings oh, misdoings. He's, he's like a scapegoat uh, almost. He's like yeah, a, sure, yeah. Uh, but but somebody had to die, mm-hmm. and he had to die. I think if that were more related to their thing, like he dies in the fire, right? right then yeah. then it becomes more clear, like oh, that he was collateral he, damage. He's collateral. That's what I'm looking for. He's yeah. collateral damage. He yeah. he's he's the the one that got caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Right. But. Um, it just kind of happens randomly. Um, so, so I'm a little more confused on that, but I think my mind, like I said, is able to justify character inconsistency with the, between like the incongruency between the real world and this fictional, you know, world, this narrative that they're trying to give me 
just because I think the whole thing is allegory. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so to me, it worked, it worked in that, in that regard. And I think it's genuinely disturbing to, you know, intense to see like, it's so, it's so cleverly done that you keep seeing those like clippers, like in the shots and you're like, Oh, is he going to cut off a finger? Oh, he's going to cut off the finger. Oh, he's going to cut off all his fingers. Oh. And then there's like a finger on the ground. You're like, Oh no. What happened? Did he cut off more fingers? And it's like, oh no, the donkey just got into the fingers. And it's like, yeah, so there, there's your collateral damage, right? There's yeah. your one caught in the crossfire. But, you know, great cinematography, great performances, great everything. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like, I think the only thing that keeps it from being like a five-star film for me is just the fact that the, you know, there is some incongruency between the real world and the and the allegory. I think had they dug a little deeper, they might could have found an allegory that worked, you know, for character as well. Um, and maybe that would have served the film better. But um, I don't know. I mean, this is four, maybe four and a half. Like, I, I just I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's got a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Yeah. Um hmm. I think it, I'm not sure what the audience score was. It did, you know. Yeah. That's always a big thing. So yeah, like I said, like it's, it's good. Like, you know, this is a searchlight pictures film and yeah. Um, yeah. I'm seeing here that it only made about $28 million. And, and uh, so we talk all about all, all along about like what the concept of what's the financial incentive behind franchise stuff. And yeah. And then, um, the idea that it's either supposed to make a ton of money or it's supposed to service a lot of verticals for a studio. Conversely, movies like this are meant to are expected or at least allowed to operate at a loss because what they do is they, they bolster the artistic uh, reputation, artistic reputation of the studio. It just said, well, you know, we, we make, it's like a pro bono movie. Basically it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, We know it's not going to make a lot of money, but like, people need to know that we still make like real movies right? <laughs> or whatever. Exactly. So much so yeah. that we, like, you know, movies like, you know, the Avengers, because this is ultimately under Disney's umbrella. So like movies like the Avengers and other things like that allow movies like Banshee. And I don't want to say it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than I'm saying, but they essentially, that model allows movies like the Banshees of Inisherin to exist because they give the studio enough extra money to go, look, we can finance this thing doesn't have to make money. We'll lose a yeah. few million dollars. Not a big deal. We just made a billion dollars from Captain Marvel 2 or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Which is one good thing about a large studio owning all these subsidiaries is there's plenty of capital. So when yeah. there is plenty of capital, in theory, it enables films like this to keep getting made. Yeah. Which is what you want. It's just kind of yep. weird for a lot of people that a big conglomerate is going to finance art films. But yeah, they do. Yep. But so does Annapurna and, you know, other studios. So yeah, exactly. A24. So beyond. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, just pick your poison, yeah. you know, be careful. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, I would still, so, you know, I feel like in Bruges, uh, explores all these quirky angles of, of subject matter that Martin McDonough likes to do in a way that still feels exciting and engaging enough for somebody like me. So I'm still going to say I prefer in Bruges to um, the movies of his that I have seen. Again, I haven't seen three billboards. 
Sure. But Martin, Martin McDonough, is, he is one of those. I mean, the reason I saw this was it's because it's a Martin McDonough movie because I know who he is. I I, I like him. Um, yeah. I'm into I, I love writer directors. I love writer directors who have a who have a short <laughs> collection of films they've made. Yeah. It's easy to catch up and yeah. I enjoy watching them progress in their career. We, yeah. We've talked about this before. We're like, it's fine. Like, it's fine to like Spielberg and Martin Scorsese. And obviously there's a reason people love them. But there is something to be said about, you know, being in your 30s and being able to like observe filmmakers in real time as they make yeah. movies. They make movies every couple of years and you go, you can actually remember what it was like to see them for the first time yep. versus yep. binging them on on Amazon uh, yep. to, to study them. You know? Right. <laughs> um, it's different and it's it's yeah. good. It's it's nice to be able to uh, to digest his career in, in real time. Yes. Whereas my kids are going to watch all his films in a single weekend, probably if they do yep. it all and be yeah, like, Oh, right. now I know who Martin McDonough is. And I, I know just as much as you do dad about him. Right. I'll be like, yeah. shut up. I was there when it happened. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little disappointed that uh, Ray Fiennes wasn't in this. Like he was in, uh, in Bruges. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe he'd have like a cameo, but yeah, that would be silly. Yeah. Maybe Yeah, he should have, he could have been the bar bartender. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll 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 get to Ray Fines because we'll talk about the menu in an upcoming episode. Ooh, tease. Oh, look at that, baby. Oh, tease. All right. Well, in, until then, uh, that was the Banshees of Inishirin. Uh, that's all we got for this week. That's all we got. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. And fade off. Into what the mist. more do you want? <laughs> There's death coming to the Hoopacast tonight. No. Oh. 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 <laughs> all right. Well, that's it. That's it. We ended the, the Avatar episode with, well, now I'm depressed. And we'll end this episode with there's death coming to the There's cast. death coming to the Ubercat. There's death coming to the Ubercat. <laughs> <laughs>